0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Overcoming Chronic Illness Podcast. My name is Dr. Brian Raid. I'm a naturopathic doctor, and I'm very excited to be joined today by another one of my naturopathic colleagues, Dr. Jill Krista. Dr. Krista is just a force to be reckoned with in the complex chronic illness world. And uh, Dr. Krista, if you don't mind just giving a quick introduction um, to our listeners, that would be much appreciated.
1: Sure. I've been a naturopathic doctor for going on two decades, which is wild to think about. Um, and I started in primary care practice in Southern Wisconsin, found myself here in heavy metal country in the Rust Belt and Lyme country. And when a bunch of Lyme patients weren't getting better, discovered mold. <laughs> so that was kind of my, my work into this, um, working backwards, so to speak. And uh, I just have a... A huge passion for helping to elevate the wellness of the planet by elevating the wellness of the beings on the planet, and for a lot of us, the chronic illnesses are due to the planet being sick too. So, I a big part of what I'm trying to impress on people is: as soon as you start to feel better, turn your health out onto Mother Gaia, Grandmother Gaia. Yeah,
0: that's a that's a beautiful sentiment. Um, That's that's great. (laughs) Um, so I kind of just I uh, hmm. was going to ask you about like how you got into treating patients with complex chronic illness, which you've kind of touched on there. So um, did it um, like where you said you're in heavy metal country, so to speak. So was it ultimately that you just started seeing patients who were having a lot of chronic health maladies. And then it's like, okay, let's look at heavy metal issues. And then that got some people Mm -hmm. better, but not everybody all the way better. Um, Then you got into the chronic infections that got more people better, but there were still some, and then mold was the next frontier. Like, was it that kind of evolution?
1: Yeah. And I'm also a mom of twins with pans. So, and from congenital Lyme, even though I didn't know I had Lyme disease. So Lyme Bartonella. Um, Yeah. So, you know, Fibromyalgia. Oh, we all have aches and pains. Just pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you yeah, know, that kind of stuff. Life advice. Um, yeah. And from a good Scottish family where, you know, we just get stuff done no matter what. And uh, we're tough and all of those things. So it was the perfect recipe for um, having kids with Lyme and not knowing that I was sharing more than my sense of humor. <laughs>
0: Good to pass on the good things, but yeah, yeah not, not so yeah. much the not so good things. Yeah. That's
1: right. Yeah.
0: Um, uh, in terms of, um, and actually, one of the questions I have on my list here to ask you is about heavy metals. Um, and so where I, I, to my understanding, you uh, work with folks outside of your um, uh, geographic area. Like you consult on cases for folks um far and wide. I I, I believe.
1: Yeah. Nowadays. I mean, that's the thing is I started in the rust belt and doing all the things that we're trained to do, you know, cleaning up diet, lifestyle, nutrition, using herbs to fill in the gaps for things. And then I started seeing this trend and like, wow, everybody has with, with these kinds of things going on, has high blood pressure, um, vertical ridges on their thumbnails, um, couldn't sleep fatigue, little bit of like cognitive issues. And I'm realizing as I'm putting it all together, I'm like, this is homeopathic plumbum. Cause of course I was trying to treat it homeopathically and then also seeing like the mercury side of it as well, which are the two biggest ones that I was seeing in practice. And, and it started to click with me. I was like, Oh, maybe it's not the homeopathic because could all these people need the same remedy that doesn't make any sense Mm -hmm. and realizing, oh. Okay, I have two lead mines an hour away each different direction. This is lead toxicity. And especially with menopausal women, as they were starting to turn over bone and they were starting to free up all this lead, all of a sudden you see these spikes in blood pressure and you see hot flashes and all that stuff. So mm-hmm. that kind of led me into the um you know, <laughs> the way that the the way that you, the universe works is it's time for you to learn about this condition. And so it sends you could patient after patient after patient with that thing Mm -hmm. so that you can get really good at it. And so I just plowed through all of those things with the heavy metals, the food sensitivities, the, and, and I remember um, getting into the Lyme world then because I I had done all the things and people weren't responding the way I would expect. And that's when we get into the chronic and stealth infections Mm -hmm. because they can just low lie under there. And it's almost as if the stronger you get your patient, the stronger you're getting the bug as well. And I was seeing that pattern and I was just like, this, I don't understand this. And then realized it was Lyme disease through a few coinky dinks. you know, sitting at a, at a conference and going, oh, that's my patient. You know, I didn't realize that's what Lyme was. I thought it was an achy joint thing. Mm -hmm. And here it's all these other things. And this was back in probably 2004 or five and, you know, the chronic EBV So I thought, you know, those guys got better, but then there's this group that didn't. So we just kind of worked through it in those ways. And as I got more educated in Lyme, I became an ILADS trained physician. Um, and it's just that ever evolving thing that happens as you, as you open yourself and you invite to help other people, um, the universe will send you a whole lot of certain conditions until you get good at it. And then you move to the next one, then you move to the next one. So the more willing you are as a practitioner for those listening, if you're kind of a little overwhelmed, <laughs> um, you may want to be really clear about what you're saying to the universe that you're willing to do. <laughs>
0: because, that, that is fair.
1: Yeah. 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 I got a lot of schooling. They say the the teacher arrives when the student is ready Mm-hmm. That hasn't been my experience. Mine has been that the teacher showed up early for class. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's well put. Yeah, that's, yeah. Um, yeah. There's there's some of us that can identify with that out there. That's,
1: mm-hmm.
0: that's well put.
1: Um, so kind of a, kind of going back to your original question, then mm-hmm. you know each of these things, you kind of get known as the person who treats the complicated cases. Then mm-hmm. people come to see you from outside of your area. And that has just kind of grown and grown and grown, and um, until the point where now I I only do consultations with practitioners because I want I'm now in the phase of my practice where I want to teach more doctors how to fish mm-hmm. because that's going to only help more patients.
0: That's awesome, um, and I want to ask you about that aspect of things um, so that folks listening can, uh, if they want to. Um, have their clinician consult with you or any clinicians listening want to consult. I'd, I'd like to circle back around to that at, at the sure. end. Um, and I do want to ask you a question about heavy metals, um, but there's another question that's come up in the meantime. So I'll ask you this one first. Go for
1: so, it. I'll take um, whatever. <laughs>
0: fantastic. Thank you. Um, yeah. So kind of like evolution wise. Um, so, you know, metals, uh, vector borne um, illness, um, mold, um <clears throat> what were the, what was the next one beyond that? What was the next one beyond that? Um, like, I'm just curious, mostly because I want to make sure I'm not missing anything in my oh, knowledge yeah. <laughs> base, but also I think listeners would be interested to know, yeah, like what's, what are the other kind of big uh, milestones, I guess, with, um, you know, uh, expanding your understanding of, uh, these complicated cases. Uh,
1: you know, a lot of it boils down to environmental and we keep, evolving to find more problems because we keep inventing new things that could harm us you know no one knew lead was going to be a problem they thought this was a wonderful solution to make sure that color stayed on things that were hard to keep color you know wow what an invention yeah or to combust gas. you know so there's all these things that they were used because it was a good idea for the innovation without really realizing there were health issues We've got that problem now with Wi-Fi, EMFs. We've got that problem with pesticides and herbicides. Um, It's killing our bees. So, you know, the bees are pollinating most of what we eat. So if we really like food, we should probably pay attention to that. Mm -hmm. And I think now we're evolving to the next level where emotions are the new toxin of our time. Mm -hmm. It's going to be the thing that people really have to realize that uh, things like judgment, things like, and that's judgment of self. Usually, is the biggest one we're judging. Um, some of those emotions that is going to be because we are, we are, we can get more information now about all the, all the um, physical things. You know, there's, gosh, go on social media. You can get all kinds of diet advice and SIBO advice and you know, Lyme advice and all that kind of thing. And then podcasts are amazing. So there's so much information available to us. So now it is discernment of all of that for what is it that applies to me. Mm -hmm. But I think that the next level and what I'm now getting trained on to help people with is more the emotion energetic side of things. I think frequency medicine is going to be the future of medicine.
0: Mm. I've heard some other very smart docs say the same thing. Um, So
1: like scalar energy therapy is amazing. It's S C A L A R. It's looking at the sun, certain pictures that have a certain wavelengths and things like that. Just looking at it for periods of time transmutes medicine to us because our, our bodies are solar powered. We've always had a relationship with the sun and so many people are stuck inside. Like Mm. these, this kind of stuff is really cool and it can be so simple and so beautiful. So elegant cool yeah
0: is there, so uh, looking
1: to scalar <laughs> I was
0: gonna I was gonna say is there like a, do I just you know punch that into a search engine I'll,
1: it... I'll email you some information it's still very woo and very out there like the mm-hmm. the frequency medicine I've used in school and I was just very lucky that um Dr Judy fullup who was my um the the practitioner that I followed mm-hmm. we have secondary primary in the way that we're trained uh, she was my primary I was the secondary and she introduced me to this amazing miraculous machine called frequency specific microcurrent. Mm. That thing, there's a little bit of magic. I mean, there's a lot of things that we can understand about how it's working, but sort of like homeopathy, Mm. like homeopathy, I would put in the frequency medicine place. It's been around forever, but I think it's also going to be a big thing in the future Mm -hmm. of medicine. I think it's going to get its day. I think it's coming now that we're understanding things like nanoparticles and quantum physics. And quantum medicine. So frequency specific has been the thing that I've used as my, as my woo medicine in practice. Cause it's, it's just incredible.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know some some clinicians find it to be so helpful and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, well, that's great. Actually my uh, uh, first podcast guest um, he's a local chiropractor and they, they use it um, all the time. So it's, yeah. they're big fans, but yeah. Um, and it
1: can go so far beyond um, musculoskeletal problems.
0: Oh yeah. One hundred percent. Yeah, I yeah. feel like I use MSP it for is just like the like that's just the sampler platter, and it's like <laughs> tapping into the full full potential.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, well, uh, circling back to the heavy metal question, and we'll, we'll circle back to lots of things. I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, lots of things will be orbiting uh, around each other by the time we're done. I think. Um, so, with the heavy metal side of things, where you know, when you're consulting on cases of for folks who are not, you know living next door to a lead mine. Um, I'm wondering kind of on average, how often do you find that elevated heavy metals are a a significant barrier to folks getting better? Like how often is it that like, oh yeah, the patient's done X, Y, and Z and they're still not all the way better. And the heavy metals are you know, a a big part of them not getting the rest of the way better.
1: A little tough for me to answer because now I... I don't have the same selection bias as a primary care doctor. Now that I'm like the chronic illness, you know, mold, Lyme, pandas person. Mm -hmm. Um, so my selection bias is probably a little skewed, but when I think back to before people knew that's the stuff that I did and I just got to see regular people, um, I would say that it's a, it's a stumbling block for quite a few, I would put it over 50%. People don't realize that, It's the stumbling block. They think it's something else. They think it's magnesium deficiency.
0: And sorry, that's for the general public. Yeah. Okay. Heavy
1: metals are a big deal. Mm. They're just not, but now that has gotten squashed by adding all these other things that we didn't have to deal with before. Wi-Fi being the one carrying a cell phone, you know, in your pocket or in your breast pocket or in your purse, you know, having it by you when you sleep, that's a whole new toxin of our time that's a, you know, electro pollution. So what's happened is that, does everyone deal with heavy metals? I think over 50% of people really do, but now that's gotten this other heavier thing on top, which has also gotten this other heavier chemical on top by having pesticides, herbicides, fragrances, you know, VOCs, all these things. So now heavy metals seem less significant, but it's just because they're not able to be discovered until some of that top stuff gets peeled off.
0: Mm. Yeah. So once the top stuff's peeled off, um, like uh, how often would it be that, you know, patients plateaued on X, Y, or Z symptom, various layers, layers have been peeled off, and then eventually heavy metals are dealt with, um, how often would it be that the heavy metals would say propel somebody like an additional 25, 30% plus, you know, further in the right direction um, in terms of feeling better?
1: Hmm, that's a great and, question. And, and, I would uh, love that data. <laughs> wouldn't that be great? Yeah. Um,
0: yeah. We, we won't hold just the exact number. You know, you don't have to cite yeah. the PubMed ID. And, and if you wouldn't mind kind of answering it within the framework of um, patients who are dealing with complex chronic illness, because that's the main audience that we're we're speaking to. Mm-hmm.
1: I would I would still stay in the high higher than you would think, 35 to 45, 35 to 50 percent. Okay. And timing is very important. Mm-hmm. So if EMFs are a real problem they have heavy metals. That is, that is um, changing the current and the dynamics of how those heavy metals are impacting them. They're not just like a, I won't say, you know, that lead is innocent, but it's not just like innocent lead sitting around in a bone. EMFs are now saying, Ooh, I'm going to, I'm going to hyperpolarize some membranes. And now if there's mercury, lead, cadmium, tungsten, gadolinium, all of these things, they're like, bing, kind of like a magnet on there. Mm-hmm. So I think they're more a problem than we pay attention to because we're, we've got all these other things we're trying to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the complex chronic illness patients, heavy metals are a bigger deal than I think people are talking about. So I'm so glad that you're asking about it. And we, the way that I do this with the treatment of it is very different for a complex chronic illness person than like, I have, I have one patient that came to see me healthy as a horse. You know, she just, she said, I just don't have the pep that I used to have. And her blood pressure was going up. And for her, she was a very healthy person who had gone into menopause and started freeing up a bunch of lead. And we just needed to chelate that out. And she got her energy back and she was able to lay down more bone, her osteoporosis improved. You know, there's healthy people walking around with this stuff. Mm -hmm. That was like a, Concentrated chelation that we were able to do. But in the complex chronic illness patients, I pulse that in just very selectively and very carefully. So they may be on like a chronic antimicrobial. And then what I listen for is the thing again, I look at the homeopathic materia medica to really describe for me what metal we might be dealing with. And sometimes it just doesn't matter. Like Quicksilver has the EDTA liquid that has multiple ways to grab things. And so when I just get to, when people get to that stuck point and I start thinking in my head, biofilm, well, part of biofilm is heavy metals. So it's not just the enzyme piece, but also just toss in a little EDTA and see if they can handle it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Which might be taking care of biofilm, but I think it's also chelating.
0: Yeah. I mean, my, my understanding is those, uh, phase two biofilms, they're, so tenacious because of the metal components to them so yeah it's uh, it's a matrix yeah yeah Mm yeah Um, and this is a perfect time to remind everybody that um, everything that I'm discussing with Dr. Krista is for informational purposes only. We're not providing any medical advice in any way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. Please speak to your personal healthcare provider uh, about any, making any medical decisions for yourselves. Um, one thing I, I just want to get again, circle back to um, is just uh, something that Dr. Krista mentioned there um, where you said that uh, I'm paraphrasing a bit, but where the uh, wi um, you know, EMFs, these, um, you know, Ultimately, dysregulate our our membranes in our bodies. That's our cell membranes. That's our mitochondrial membranes. Um, everybody that's listening to this probably knows how important mitochondria um, are for our overall cellular physiology. Um, and and that, as you were saying, uh, Dr. Krista, it you know can really interfere with the body's ability to keep those toxins uh at arm's length, you know, as, as far away from the crucial parts of the cellular structures, different parts of the body as possible. And, and I think that concept, like you put it very simply and I think really succinctly, because I think a lot of the times folks think about like, oh yeah, like Wi-Fi and EMF exposure, like it's kind of this like bit of an ethereal kind of thing. It's like, how is it really affecting us? Is it really that big of a deal? It's like, yeah, like we have the you know, published evidence that it definitely negatively impacts our membrane integrity. And, and for all intents and purposes, makes us more of a sitting duck for those other toxicants. So maybe mm-hmm. you go, you know, back, you know, 300 years, persons, you know living on a pristine Hawaiian island and somebody puts a cell phone tower beside me. You know, somebody from the future you know comes back builds a cell phone tower beside them. They might be just fine if they're just getting bathed in 5G or 4G or whatever it is. Maybe it doesn't really matter that that much. But bring that into contact with modern day folks dealing with all the stealth infections and the mold and the metals and the you know the negative emotions and all of that. And man oh man, like it's just um, synergizing things in the worst possible way for us. So mm-hmm. um, just I, I think that's um, a really a great point that you brought up that uh, it, it is really really important to address um I thank I would you like... for
1: explaining that for people too because sometimes I get on a roll and I say things like hyperpolarized membranes and people are like what does that even mean you know so thank you for <laughs> oh making God. that understandable I'm trying,
0: I'm trying to channel the better health guy because he's so good at doing that like yeah sort of like people back in anyways yeah, yeah. if you're yeah. um but thanks for the feedback um <laughs> uh, on on the EMF level uh or on the EMF side of things, Um, Are there, aside from just minimizing exposure, um, are there any devices, like there's different devices out there that claim to neutralize EMFs or different things like, you know, Dr. Klinghart talks about all these different gizmos and, you know, special paints that you can paint on your wall and sleep sanctuaries and all these different things. Um, Are there any, aside from minimizing exposure as much as possible, are there things that you recommend for your patients or um, treatments like internal or external things that they can do to help um, mitigate their EMF exposure if they can't get away from the EMS as much as they ideally would?
1: Yeah, I I don't have a whole lot of science on a lot of things. There's a lot of really cool devices, but are they actually working? And I haven't played with enough with my EMF meter to see like to to speak to the full thing, you know the Faraday cages and that, but I think where you sleep is really important. Mm-hmm. So having those sleep curtains, you know, I think that that's a really big, especially if you're in a in a apartment building sort of situation, and you're in a work building. So all day you're exposed during your work to having Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi, and maybe multiple Wi-Fis because of different offices having their own, and then to come to your home if you're in an apartment situation or a condo situation where you have it all around you in a city that's pretty hard on bodies. And we will evolve to handle that. And, and the way that I'm working with my patients in the, in the energy shamanic realm is to say five G yes, please. Cause we're electrical beings. Mm-hmm. Imagine if we could actually use that to fuel our system. We're not there yet. Not everybody is some people are doing this, you know, and um, are actually, getting energy from being exposed to it because wow. they're using a lot of techniques to do that um, mm. harmonizing with it. We might think, but we're not there yet. Most of us are not <laughs> you know, monk style people who can deal with that. Um, so I think that, that where you sleep is a really important place to protect, but also absolutely hundred percent have to get out side and ground with mother earth. Mm. That is, if you look at the, the EMF, the, Um, bad wiring. If there's bad bad wiring, bad grounding on a wiring system, it will have dirty electricity that will emit more EMFs. And if you think about what that means, bad grounding, you know, for really not being good about a daily practice of grounding at the original charging station, (laughs) you know, (laughs) mother earth is the original charging station. You're going to be more affected. So I have patients who do live in an apartment building situation with multiple Wi Fi's who do work in, in offices that have Wi-Fi as well. Um they, the park they go to have lunch in New York City is has free Wi-Fi, public, you know, I mean it's all over the place. But they have a very dedicated grounding practice hmm. and are really not I, I would say and I don't want to just do an N of one that means everybody, that means it applies to everybody I've just seen it over and over and over again. When I say, I can't impress upon you enough, how important this is, that it's not just being out in nature. It's appreciating nature. It's having it. It's like giving your heart to nature, which is, is means things go this way. And then the energy can come back to you. If you are in fear, fear is a very involuting emotion And fear invites then coming in with that electrical current, heavy metals, toxins, you know, things to come in and to be magnetized in. So I think that it's that it's got to be daily, work it in. It's more important than any supplement you can even imagine. And we can't bottle it (laughs) because it's energy. Um, And I just said, frequency medicine is going to be the most important medicine in the future. It's now. Um, so I think a daily practice of grounding and then protect where you sleep are the big things.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, and just, um, to emphasize a little bit more, expand a little bit more on um, protecting where you sleep, like that would be turn off your, you know, Wi-Fi router. If you can, um, make sure you Mm -hmm. don't have any, uh, electronic devices, like everything's on airplane mode or ideally just turned off. Um, are there. Like, do you recommend people create like a, you know, canopy bed, sleep sanctuary? Some people need to,
1: some people do need to, Mm -hmm. and and not just having it off, having it uh, out of the room, because what we're finding is even when they're off, like mine is off right now, because this is pinging, quietly pinging away. I see. That's crazy. Like yeah. they're supposed to be asleep. They're not sleeping. When you turn it off, they're not sleeping. The only way of sleeping is if you take the battery out. Hmm. So that needs to be out of the room where you sleep. And I've had patients actually have um, static shocks that we couldn't figure out. We were doing all the EMF stuff. So, you know, and I'm I'm very lucky that I have an incredibly skilled indoor environmental professional. The the Bow Biology, B A U, Bow Biology out of Germany. These people, the B B E C. Um, is their credential? They're paying attention to EMFs. So I was like, well, "Static shocks are associated with mold, so let's go do an assessment." Well, it turns out this woman had a an outlet. When they pulled her bed bed frame away from the wall, she had an outlet right on her head, right mm-hmm. behind her head when she was sleeping. Mm-hmm. So paying attention to where your bed is in relation to those things too, and you can get an EMF meter really pretty inexpensively or you can you know hire someone to come in and check and make sure the whole wall up and down where you sleep is not emitting dirty electricity because that alone could be causing problems whether you're out in a you know in a no 5G no Wi-Fi area if you have you know bad grounding <laughs> yeah. wiring that isn't done well or where there's electrical wiring and then a water pipe going by the, these are all factors that can be changing the electrical current
0: um for the bow biology folks is, do they um, where are they located geographically or do they do distance consult- all
1: over all over the place some do distance consultations mm-hmm. um I know the one that I work with Martine Davis she's in Madison mm-hmm. at airinspector.com she does some um, distance for some kinds of things, but I don't know if, you know, EMF, I don't think you can do, you really need the meter, but mm-hmm. they may be able to mail you the meter to check your house and give you instructions on how to do it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So um... yeah, some of my patients, we've done all the mitigation stuff, you know, Wi-Fi off, mm-hmm. um, you know, devices out of the room, all of the things that, that we could think about that are easy, you know, I mean, those are pretty easy things to do. And, um, in some cases they just really needed the, the added protection.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, uh, just an p- additional plug for Martine at airinspector.com. Um, yeah, you passed on her name to me years ago and I've referred so many patients to her and yeah, she does, like, you know, where I'm in Canada. Um, but yeah, she does distance consultations, just Mm -hmm. it's great um we we had some water damage at my clinic unfortunately a few years ago and you know she it was all just taken care of via you know zoom consult she mailed us the material we needed to test like it was just it was really really great so if you're uh you know if anyone listening if you're like oh man like there's just no iep in my area like what am i going to do like um some companies not all of them because i've asked others and not everybody's willing to do things uh, distance wise but um it's there are some that will do that which really cuts mm-hmm. down on cost uh thankfully yeah 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 somebody in so
1: absolutely and Thank we you. inspect um they have what's called the mold finders method so if it is mold Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not the EMF thing, but they, cause they focus strictly on mold, which is nice because they're really good at what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's mold, they have this whole school, basically they teach you how to inspect your own house and then they'll work with you to get the sampling done. It's great. It's a really cool resource. Yeah. Awesome.
0: Well, I'm gonna include those uh, websites in the um, in the show notes. <laughs> so for folks who are driving or whatever and not able to make these, right? Notes, that's
1: done. so nice. I know yeah. I do that when I, with the podcast. I've got like you know chicken fingers or something. I'm like, oh, I gotta write that down. And then I remember, oh no, that's gonna be in the show yeah. notes.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Show notes are key. Um, yeah. Well, I'm um, kind of uh, tying a, one of the questions I had for you into what we were just talking about there. So um, if a patient has, um, we'll say, ongoing you know, mild to moderate um, mold exposure in their current home um, and they're unable to remediate or move. um, Are there sort of damage control methods that you found that can at least, uh, you know, either work well enough to keep the space livable or if, say, they You know, they're like, I won't be able to move for a year. Like, I can't break my lease or I have to save up the money or like whatever it is. You know, I can't remediate, like, just due to financial reasons or logistical reasons. Um, Are there things that you recommend that they um, implement to kind of damage control the uh, ongoing mold exposure in their environment?
1: Yes. Yeah, so this is very common that people are stuck for a little bit. And I tried to say they're still in mold instead of stuck in mold. Cause that's oh, better energy. <laughs> that does have better
0: energy. I'll, I'll yeah. That mental adjustment. I know I'm just, Thank but you.
1: people resonate with stuck in mold, you know I mean? But I'm always like, okay, we're just gonna, we're just gonna take that word. And we're going to say you're still in mold Good. because there is the whole message is you must get that either remediated. Like you can't get better if you're exposed to mold mm. period. If you've already been made symptomatic from it, you cannot get better if you're still in mold. So that's it. There are a lot of things that you can do. I have a whole course on it. (laughs) It's an hour long course called nine things to know if you're still in mold. There are some dietary things you can do, such as if we understand what mold is trying to do, it's trying to move in and compost you. So we want to make sure that we're not reinforcing that with the diet and the supplements that we're taking the message in those toxins that mold is spitting out is, um, fungi is trying to move in fungi is trying to take over. So we want to look at the whole fungal family and find out, are you eating any of them? So yeasted, anything yeasted, that would be yeasted breads, um, nutritional yeast on popcorn, beer, any of those things got to go. Um, aged cheeses where we're going to have more bacterial possible fungal can come in like a blue cheese um getting rid of mushrooms getting rid of anything in the fungal family medicinal mushrooms just during that period while you're in that exposure we don't want to reinforce the message that mold is trying to move in because that will aggravate particularly neurological symptoms um then also reducing the things that can grow yeast cuz a lot of people who are exposed to mold easily end up with a yeast overgrowth as well. Even though molds and yeast are a little different, they're real close cousins. And then that can affect your brain function. We've seen lots of studies that show that if you have yeast overgrowth in your gut, it's actually affecting the the microglia, the immune system of your brain. And I've seen in practice that yeast really goes to the brain. It it really affects anxiety, sense of despair. Um, out of all of my patients who are dealing with mental health issues, the yeast overgrowth people are the most likely to have suicidal thoughts because I think yeast just goes there. You know, it really affects how you think, Mm. um, and how you feel, you know? So we would do things that don't promote the growth of yeast, which would be kind of an anti-candida diet, you know, getting rid of the sweets, like no, no, um, Juice. Nobody needs to be drinking juice. (laughs) There's no reason for juice. (laughs) If you need fruit, have the fruit. So you get the fiber and the pectin and the binding from that. And then things that tend to have mycotoxins in them. Um, We see a lot of mycotoxins in corn, uh, soy, peanuts. And if somebody's really sensitive, then we would also look at some of the grains, also potatoes. But a lot of times, if you can get those that are organically grown or local, especially if they're in season, and, or if they've been frozen, frozen foods tend to have less mycotoxins because they're processed right away. Mm-hmm. They're not sat around waiting for, you know, somebody to make it into polenta or something like that. So that would be the dietary stuff. And then using high fiber, insoluble fiber has been shown to pick up bile and bile is what packages up the toxins from mold to carry it out of the body. So we want to pick up as much as possible and just using high insoluble fiber foods. I, I have patients do the seeds or bran that's really high in insoluble fiber, like flax seeds, chia seeds, um, psyllium husk, bran. If, if you have problems with SIBO and you can't do those, you can use sunflower seeds, pumpkin seeds, sesame seeds. Those three are perfectly safe on Dr. Neurala Jacobi's biphasic diet. The first phase, it's most restrictive. Those three seeds can be used. And so just grind them up so that they're the finest they can be so you get more surface area. And I have my patients use two to four tablespoons of that a day just to get that binding taken care of. We've seen studies that that insoluble fiber is a very, very good bio binder. You don't have to make it hard on a lot of binders, you know, the, the clays and the charcoals and the, blah, 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 blah. you know, if we bind you too aggressively while you're in mold, the body will be like, oh, we're in detox mode now, not accumulation mode. So let's dump a bunch of stuff. And then you get more symptoms. Mm-hmm. Air filtration is really important. I have a favorite air filter out there, it's called the Intellipure. You can see on my website, I have a whole video of like questions you should ask and consider. Um, And on there, I have a very short one minute video that I pulled out from that longer video where we do a particle comparison of the other air filters that are out there. And it is stunning that when we test the particle count coming out of this machine, it's zero. Zero particles. And it's the ultrafine particles that carry the toxins around in the air. So if you can get your particulate count down, then those mycotoxins, even if they're getting poofed into your indoor air, they will stay more on the paint and on the wall. And you can actually do essential oil scrubbings of the walls to reduce your count. But if you get your particle count down, there's nowhere for that to come up into the air and into your respiratory passages. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm also a very big fan. Uh, oh, and IntelliPure, I get a lot of questions. People are like, well, what about IQ air? What about, um, Austin air? Those also pass the particle count primarily, um, air doctor did not. Um, but their filters can become Petri dishes while you're still in mold because it's in the environment of the biofilm. So IntelliPure is the only one that zaps the filter so that that can't happen. It creates a biostatic environment. Um, Oh, essential oils. So there are essential oils there on my YouTube video, the DIY essential oil nasal spray. I have all the essential oils that have been studied for not only combating fungus, but those that shut down the fungus's ability to make mycotoxins to defend themselves. So that's a really handy tool when mold is trying to grow and trying to spit out mycotoxins, if you have essential oils in that environment, it reduces the most toxic part. So we don't want to spray because we're adding moisture to the problem. So I have people put essential oils on cotton balls and place them around into the most affected areas. So those are just some ideas, things you don't want to do, um, heavy breathing exercises because you're in mold, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? I mean, People are saying, oh, for your vagus nerve, take a deep breath. And your brain is like, don't take a deep breath, you know? So it's, you're fighting with the wisdom of your body. Mm-hmm. Taking glutathione can really aggravate people when they're in mold as well. So we try to use the things to help your body make its own, um, if it needs it, <laughs> So that we don't push the body, you know, that accumulation detox thing. We don't want to push the body into detox. Mm -hmm. And then there have been lots of things studied in animals where they know they're going to be in a moldy barn and that are, if you pre-dose are protective, things like uh, milk thistle, DHA. um, These are things that we know quercetin will help protect the body. And it's something that I nag all the remediators in my area about because Those respirators do not block mycotoxins. Mm -hmm. So these guys doing this life-saving work are putting themselves in peril. And I'm like, the research shows, you know, (laughs) take this stuff in the morning and it'll protect your liver and your kidneys and your genes and your cells throughout the day. Mm -hmm. So that's all laid out in the course, really detailed. And I give um, doses and stuff in the course. Awesome. Not to do a commercial. I'm just trying to, you know, I created it because I had, some of my members were like, what do we do? And I'm like, Wow, oh, is it different if you're in mold? And I thought back to my patients as, Oh, definitely. You know, I've definitely made people sick, sicker, trying to do good things.
0: Great. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks for mentioning those resources. And I'll, I'll uh, link those in the show notes as well. Sure. And I, I, I haven't done those particular courses, but I have done your full clinician training course. And it's like, second to none. And I tell Mm -hmm. all of my colleagues about it. So I can't imagine that uh, this, these courses for the general public would be anything shy of that. So definitely worth checking out folks. Um, just a couple of, uh, just little notes on a couple of things you mentioned. Um, just the Intellipure, um, one of the only air purifiers, maybe the only air purifier, I don't know, that's actually made in the U.S. of A. Um, believe it or not, unless something's changed in the last couple of years. Um, yep. so just FYI, if you care about those things, um, mm-hmm. then it is made um in the states. And um, the other thing, and I'm just not sure if you've seen these before, but there are some um, essential oil diffusers that are completely water free. Um, yes. so they're they're expensive in my experience, but yeah. <laughs> um, they're uh yeah, there are some options. So if you don't want to do the cotton ball method, there are some fancy pants ones that can be used. Yeah.
1: Yeah, And even the old school one, you know, with the sticks, you know, target I've sent in our area because it's the easiest thing to find. Mm -hmm. I send my patients to just go get that, you know, it has to have a small mouth um, and then, you know, some kind of a open bottom but you could just stick bamboo sticks in and oh, that will okay. carry the essential oil up as well okay. that's the old hippie way to do it
0: right right i've, I've seen those <laughs> never use them but do, do they they're great
1: oh they really they do they draw the essential oil up to the top and then that it volatilizes but mm-hmm. you do have to have some sort of like a little bit of air movement in the room to have it volatilize
0: gotcha um well one other mold question if you don't mind um I, let me just bring it up here. So, so if you have a patient, uh, or, you know, say you had a room full of a hundred patients, um, heaven forbid you're a hundred patients all at once. That'd be a little <laughs> overwhelming. Um, so a hundred patients, they've all been, um, you know, in a, they've all been um, exposed to mold. Um, they were still in mold for a while now they're no longer mm-hmm. still in mold. Um, nice,
1: nice I, language. Yeah,
0: I'm, I'm just you know, trying to ingrain <laughs> it here. Um, and they are, um, Still symptomatic. So, you know, they've been out of mold for, you know, six months plus, let's say three months plus, whatever. They're still symptomatic. Um, Of those 100 patients, uh, roughly how many of them would you say um, it would be crucial or highly, highly, highly important um, to use some type of a nasal spray to um, treat their sinuses, like with antimicrobials? Um, How often would you say out of those 100 patients would it be crucial for that to be done?
1: 100%.
0: 100%. That's Mm -hmm. a high number.
1: It's a very high number. Okay. yeah. So this is from occupational studies where we really have actual humans. Um, this is not on the treatment. So the treatment comes from my empirical experience. Hmm. But the cause is from real human studies. Occupational studies where people were exposed to a moldy building, and this was four studies over seven years, and they they did a review. So they took all of that data. And what they find is that 50% of the people who had that exposure, they their symptoms went away either the minute they got out of the building or by the end of the weekend. And then they would start over again, be symptomatic in the building, but not when they were out of the building. Those 50% needed no treatment when they did good remediation. There's 50% were symptomatic still out of the building and... The worst ones were the ones that were symptomatic throughout the weekend and were still symptomatic, and then had to go back to work again. Those people had chronic respiratory issues, chronic fatigue syndrome, sick building syndrome, gut issues, like boom, 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 boom. You name it. Down the line, what I learned from Dr. Joseph Brewer's study in 2013-14 was pivotal in in why I've added this as as a critical part of treatment, because what they found is Lo and behold, when you test healthy people and sick people, we all have fungus in our sinuses. So it's the mere presence of fungus is not the problem. We all have bacteria in there. We all have all kinds of things living in our sinuses. The difference is the healthy people had no mycotoxins in that washing and the sick people did. And they tested nasal lung gut. I believe they took a biopsy of brain as well, but they had taken biopsies of lung. I know, (laughs) Ah.
0: um, sign up for that one.
1: Yeah, exactly. And they found mycotoxins in all of those tissues, Wow. which is, what does that mean? That means your own flora have now either started making them, which a lot of times we see with candida overgrowth and, or mold has moved in and you are now colonized and it is a war zone now going on on your respiratory, your mucosal, your skin, oh, his skin also. We all have fungus all over the place. We all have an aspergillus spore that makes its way to our lungs and then our body eventually fights it off and gets rid of it. What's the difference is colonization, meaning your own flora has moved from a commensal microbiome. We're getting very familiar with that word microbiome. We have a different microbiome for every area, we have a different one for our mouth, for our sinuses, for our ears for our gut, you know, everything has its own unique microbiome. When it's healthy, that microbiome is basically just a, a healthy biofilm. So what happens is that when we get colonized, it shifts it into not healthy biofilm, pathogenic species, non-commensal, not up, you know, more opportunistic and that kind of thing. So if this is the seed For every time you swallow, you're swallowing a little snot, this needs treatment. And the way that I approach it is that if you, if we're finding mycotoxins or antibodies to mycotoxins in your body, you still have something in your sinuses that needs to be addressed. And not always is it with like a heavy hitter bag spray, like I very rarely use the pharmaceuticals. Sometimes I do, um, especially with chronic Lyme and mold, the sinuses can become quite a, a resistance area, um. Mm -hmm. So that can be a big barrier for people to get better if we don't do something a little more aggressive. But sometimes even if they don't have any sinus symptoms, do I treat them? Yeah, mm-hmm. I do. But it's not always with an anti, it might be with a pro. So it might be with lactobacillus sacchiae or humic and acid, exact bushes, ion biome, something to help get the commensal species back up again. Some people snort mega you know, the spore based bacillus. I don't know about the science of that, putting that in the sinuses. I understand the science science of putting it in the gut, but I have patients who are like, they swear by it or they'll put it in their netty. They mix it in their netty and they use it there. Mm-hmm. So do, does everyone get some form of sinus treatment? Yes. Might be an inhalation stick like the Olbas um, essential oil sticks, which you can probably get in Canada very easily because it's European, mm-hmm. um, especially for kids because kids you can't spray things up into their sinuses. They don't have developed sinuses. So the really little ones, Mm -hmm. um, you can just do the swabs in the, in the nostrils with these pro things that can help the body rebalance that commensal species.
0: Awesome. Long-winded answer. These are good answers. That's what we're here for. Um, and so just to maybe take that, um, Question one step further, um, but just before I do that, um, just FYI, um, I've recommended lots of MegaSpore uh, up up the schnoz for patients over time. Okay. We um, yeah. have them mix capsules into like little dropper bottles of saline and squirt it, as opposed yep. to snorting. It's just a little less mm-hmm. like you know, sketchy, I guess yeah. maybe to not yeah. start things, but uh, yeah, it can be super, super, super helpful. So yeah, just you know, like sometimes more impactful as you're maybe alluding to sometimes more impactful than all the killing sprays and all of that. So sometimes exactly. you just need to give a little love and just goes a long way. Um, yep. so that going back to that, uh, room full of a hundred patients. So you've recommended some type of nasal treatment for all of them, um, of that hundred, um, how many of them would you say that the nasal treatment is you know at least um say like 20 25 percent um impactful for them so like they really notice like a significant clinical benefit from it like shifting oh i'd
1: it. say over 80. yeah okay. like right. it's huge
0: yeah yeah okay
1: and what i see because i i did lots of years where i didn't do that i only treated sinuses if someone had sinusitis and mm-hmm. And then read that study and was like, oh, this is colonization. Mm. Now I get it. Everybody needs this. What I saw was people would go from this, getting better, getting better, getting better, getting better, getting better. And then added the sinus treatment and, you know, improvement Mm. like crazy. So I'm Mm. like, why wait now? Mm -hmm. Why wait? And the minimum, typical minimum amount of treatment time would be three months. Mm -hmm. Um, Typical real for chronic illness, people six to nine months. Mm-hmm. But not always the anti thing, you mm-hmm. know. We might start with the anti and then move. It's
0: mm-hmm. mm-hmm. the one advantage of having those evolutions in your practice because when you learn <laughs> the next thing, it's like, oh, you go back and then like look at how the, all these patients have benefited because I didn't know as much I back know. then, and it's it's a really um, yeah, it's great for the patients uh, when they're their clinician is, you know, willing to learn more and able to learn more. And then it's great for the clinician because you see, wow, like this is just a single variable that I'm applying to all these pre-existing cases. And man, like, yeah, it's, it's exciting when it moves the needle. Um, so mm-hmm. nicely in the right direction. That's
1: yeah. And I felt like I needed to write letters to my patients where I missed it. Like, Hey, you know, if you're not doing, <laughs> if you're not mm-hmm. doing nasal treatment, come back in. We'll get that fixed. You know? Nice. Yeah. yeah. You know, it always makes you feel bad when you learn something like, Oh, I totally miss that in like five people.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I've I've written those emails. I mean, not letters, but uh, e- emails, e letters, if you will. Um, and yeah, yes. so they and they they appreciate it, you know. So you're yeah. thinking about them. So you just do the best we can as we as we go along.
1: People need um, to know that we're always thinking of them. Mm-hmm. They take up a lot of space in our hearts and our minds.
0: They do they do mm-hmm. dr krista well said yep so <laughs> this' sending sending the love out there to all of our patients mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a beautiful thing yeah. um oh shoot i had maybe i already asked you that question okay uh, I'll, I'll move on to something else here i did want to pick your brain uh, oh i know we're getting a little bit close for time here I, i'm going to just pick your brain a tiny bit about uh, histamine if you don't mind and then i'd like to ask you a little bit about uh, pans and pandas if you don't mind yeah um so, just uh, on the histamine level, um, one of the so, you know, mast cell activation syndrome. Um, one of the things that I find to be a bit challenging is that I feel like we don't have nearly as many. Um, therapeutic options for patients to help stabilize their mast cells or deal with, you know, elevated histamine symptoms as is really warranted, because it can be so very impactful when patients have histamine related issues. Um, Mm -hmm. So outside of, you know, finding and addressing the root cause, which, of course, we're always thinking about, but that doesn't typically happen overnight, um, you know, mast cell stabilizers or histamine receptor blockers um, can be really helpful. Um, I'm just wondering if outside of you know, say the H1 and H2 blockers outside of some of the better known mast cell stabilizers like Cromolyn sodium, for example, or Ketotifen, or outside of some of the better known natural like non-pharmaceutical options like uh, quercetin, for example, are there any, um, shall we say like lesser known um, mast cell stabilizers or histamine uh, kind of more like symptom-based treatments that you use in your practice that um, folks may not have heard of and, and that I may not have heard of?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the most underutilized plants for this is nettles. Mm. And we don't, I mean, nettles blocks H1, H2 and reduces mast cell degranulation. Mm-hmm. It's like he taught a fin Everything. on steroids, you know, have <laughs> except it is a food. So that means you have to take a lot of it mm. and use a lot of it to make a difference. Mm. So because it's safe, Um, and you know, a lot of these things, like you have to get, a, you have to hit that threshold, you know, that minimum therapeutic dose, like with milk thistle, as you learned in the class, 750 milligrams daily is what it takes to get that therapeutic dose resveratrol a gram daily to get the blood levels, plasma levels that we're looking for to make the dent. I think nettles has that as well in my experience. So when people say, yeah, I tried that. I'm like, what did you try? Well, I took a capsule of it, you know, maybe like in the morning and then maybe one at night. I'm like, "Mm -mm." Mm -hmm. then you haven't tried it. Mm -hmm. Nettles are so safe. And in order to get that threshold, you do need to take a significant amount. And there's cheaper ways to do this. You know, you can buy nettles in bulk in the health food store and make tea out of it. And just drink it all day and it keeps the plasma levels up for you throughout the day. It's a very inexpensive way to do it. They're very tasty. I mean, I'm an herbalist, so, you know, to me, they taste yummy. To normal people, it tastes a little bit like grass, but you can mix that with lemon juice. You can mix that with things that also have meso-stabilizing effects, citrus bioflavonoids in the lemon juice. So I think nettles are highly, highly, highly underutilized and you don't need to use it that much for very long till you get things down regulated Mm -hmm. and then you can use less and less and less and less. Mm -hmm. So if I'm ever going to add a ketodafin or something like that, I, and you heard me say this before, I never use a drug without the plant, the plant comes first. Mm -hmm. And then if the plant doesn't work, or we also need, we don't just say, well, nettles wasn't strong enough. So we're taking them away. And then we're going to do the ketodafin instead or something like that. no, 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 no. Because the plant has, all these other things that are helping that we don't talk about trace minerals, you know, that's a big one mm. is that that goes back to heavy metal toxicity. If heavy metals are sitting in the seat on the bus that that trace mineral should be in that trace mineral doesn't have anywhere to go. It just comes in the body and goes out. So people are tons of people are trace mineral deficient mm. people who benefit from humic and fulvic acid trace mineral deficient. Mm-hmm. Like we know they're, are predictable things. So nettles are also very high in trace minerals. So you're getting nourishment, you're getting the bioflavonoid, folinic acid, which processes out a lot of the mycotoxins, bumps it off of albumin so that the mycotoxin can get out through the kidneys. Perfect, amazing plant. And we just, we don't use it. Mm-hmm. In kids, I use hops a lot. Hops also is a mast cell stabilizer and, mm-hmm. and um, histamine blocker. And it's wonderful for babies. This is not in my molding kids course. I'm realizing I probably should have put it there um, for taking a bath in hops tea because it's also relaxant is safe to use on the skin and it's a mast cell stabilizer. So your kid who just like blows up all red, or if you are one of those people, you know, if you're having problems with the, and you're doing the DAO before you eat and the, you know, <laughs> trying to take a bunch of pyramid take a bunch of PEA and get ready for that meal. Cause you're so worried. And you're on that low histamine diet, you know, doing some of the things topically as well, because our skin is an amazing sponge. Mm -hmm. So you could take a hops bath before, of course, hot baths can make histamine worse, but, um, tepid, uh, or drink some hops tea that Mm -hmm. really helps the people that have a lot of reflux issues, a lot of H2 problems, a lot of reflux issues from, um, after eating that you can do, just drink a little hops tea before you eat. And that can help to manage the topical stuff on the, on the stomach lining. Hmm. Um, Also curcuma, we, we don't pay attention to this part of it, but turmeric has histamine blocking capabilities. Hmm. So the lovely thing about that is you're feeding many birds with one seed. It's detoxifying, anti-neuroinflammatory, anti-inflammatory helps with the joints. So if you have mold, lime, and it has some histamine blocking activity as well, Hmm. detox, you know, I could go on kidney protective. Yeah. So these plants are amazing, but we don't use enough. We don't use high enough doses in my experience and we don't trust them. I don't think we have the repetition and the high enough dose to really get our, get our trust with them.
0: That's fair. Yeah. The dose makes all the difference. I I can't say how many times I've had a, I've consulted on a case and it's like, oh, yeah, you're taking quercetin or you're taking NAC or taking whatever. And it's like, what, like one capsule a day? Like, if you, I don't, yeah, it's just, it isn't going to work.
1: Not going to do it. Yeah. Right. And it's so funny. Like, people think, oh, I don't want to take too much. And I'm like, you're taking two antibiotics you know, like <laughs> this dose of nettles is not anywhere near the high risk that those two antibiotics that you're on is. Mm-hmm. So go for it. You know, it's yeah. a safe food. Yeah. Nettles also is a natural source of quercetin and fisetin and rutin. Touché. I mean,
0: it's, this goes on, on and on. on. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> With the nettles, um, would you, like if say a patient's like, I, I don't want to drink the tea or I'm too busy or whatever, like, would you, be able to see an analogous uh, therapeutic effect using nettle capsules or nettle tincture. Like you can yep. medium doesn't really or the form doesn't necessarily matter a whole lot.
1: Does it? No, you're missing out on the mineral part. Sure. So you know you might need to do the humic phobic acid with with the nettles mm-hmm. tincture or right. glycerate. Um and I like uh um there are some formulas where it's nettles is the base and then they add. You know, Mm -hmm. so it's like nettles is this, and then they might put quercetin in there or something like that. So you're kind of, you know, upping the ante on that. But I have to say the overall picture, if mold is anywhere in your past history and you have mast cell problems or histamine problems, you have a fungal overgrowth. Mast cells are recruited when the fungi start to try to get through the membrane on your mucous membranes, which is your respiratory passages in your gut, bladder, skin. So, once that root goes just that little bit past the membrane, mast cells get recruited like crazy because that means the surface guys didn't get the job done. Those antibodies and immunoglobulins on the surface part. So, once it got a root down, mast cells come from the backside. So, we know mast cell aggravated or histamine aggravated patients are fungally overburdened and they need that help. And I, I think a lot of people are like, um, it, I was very slow to come to this muscle activation awareness. I was at a Lyme conference and I heard it and I was, I think it was Dr. Theoharides. And I'm yeah. like, Oh yeah, histamine. I've got some patients with pretty bad allergies. And I know you do LDI and, you know, I was thinking to myself, okay, we might need to do some of that. And then I was realizing like, talking to other doctors, I have a lot fewer patients who had that than other treating doctors. And I think because I'm pretty aggressive about the antifungals, especially patients on antibiotics, on, you know, the antibiotics, Mm -hmm. I don't know about you, but, you know, sitting at ILADS, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, we have people on all this stuff and we're not managing the yeast. Mm -hmm. We're not managing the yeast at all. Mm -hmm. Now we are, I think, you know, with more awareness, but there were a lot of patients on some serious therapy and no antifungals. So of course they're going to take over. And of course they're going to have histamine problems then.
0: Yeah. And with the antifungal treatment you're referring to, um, that would be not just up the schnoz, it would be like systemic antifungals as well.
1: Yeah. I I rarely do one without the other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because you're seeding, if it is in the sinuses, you're seeding the gut. Mm -hmm. But we also know this is all one connected tube. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I do systemic and intranasal.
0: Wonderful. Mm-hmm. um well, not
1: always um, drugs
0: indeed <laughs> um well I've got about like 10 questions I'd like to ask you on the mold train but I, I do want to very quickly ask you to because I, I see we' we're, we're pretty much at our time here Dr Kristen I don't want to keep you um, longer um than than uh, than you know we, we had previously discussed um mm-hmm. so I, I I will pivot to to the pans for just a minute um just before we do though I just don't know if all the uh um listeners noticed that Dr Krista said um you can feed multiple birds with one seed, which I feel like is analogous to uh or we're gonna say you're you know um still in mold, not stuck in mold so just yes, uh, yes, that's, that's wonderful. I'm gonna I'm gonna definitely adopt that one because I'm always talking about doing away with birds with one stone and it's just <laughs> it's one of my favorite <laughs> sayings like nope okay we're gonna I'm gonna make that switch so i'm I'm learning lots here. thank you for uh, that's
1: Dr. Russell that. Mars. That's oh, really? I got. Yeah, that's not okay, a me that's thing. That's, that's a, a gift Yeah. Gift. He says you feed, feed two birds with one seed. And I was like, Oh, I really like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's so much more loving.
0: <laughs> it is. Yeah. No, that's great. Yeah. I, I need to mend my ways here. If there's any about like uh, multiple ways to skin a cat, uh, please let me know what the alternative to that one is. that's another I terrible one. But, oh, just... One so of my friends, she things. says,
1: "Oh, I just say it's many ways to bathe a cat." I'm like, "Have you ever bathed the cat? I don't think the cat really." <laughs> That's not. We need yeah, another. Might... Maybe cats just aren't part. For... Pet a cat, yeah, maybe. Might
0: be, maybe, yeah. <laughs> There's probably something good there. Uh-huh. Um, well, uh, Dr. Grisso, if you don't mind, uh, just I I just saw on social media within the last few days that you have um, a new book uh, out about pans, and uh, okay. would you mind just speaking to that a little bit? I'd love to get into a pans discussion with you, but I know we don't have time have to come let's... back. Please, please. That would be great. Um, but uh, yeah, would you mind speaking to, to the new book, please?
1: Sure. Thank you. I'm, I'm really excited about this one as a, as a 22. Well, my kids got symptoms from the classic pan symptoms at about four years old, three or four years old. Um, so I'm almost 20 year veteran on, on being a mom of twins with this, Um, and I, because you get known as the person who helps kids who are having trouble, then I saw lots of kids in practice with this. And so I just wanted to share what I learned in practice. And because I had kids with it, I attended every continuing education I could possibly get my hands on. If anyone was talking about pandas or pans, I was there. So I'm not one of the people that is part of the. Incredible, gifted researchers and people who decided the clinical criteria, and you know that group. I'm just a in the trenches doc, and um, I think because I come from the Lyme world, also I wanted to present a truly integrative way to manage this. It's not one way or the other with pandas and pans. Well, with any of this, it's use whatever tool is going to be right for that patient. And so I have how to integrate what we're using conventionally with what we're using naturopathically. And I think one of the best tools in the whole book is not only the, it's just like my mold book. I give doses, I give cautions, I give things to think about how to combine and order. So I have kind of a putting it all together, kind of how I have my peel the orange in the mold book. Um, because when you're in the situation, your kid's in crisis, you need it to be as simple to find the answer as possible. So I tried to do that. I think one of the best tools in the book is a medication compatibility chart, because a lot of parents are very scared to use some of the natural medicines if they are working with a conventional doctor Mm -hmm. and vice versa. If they're really natural bent, they're scared to use some of the conventional things when they really could be useful. They could be really helping your kid. So this chart combines the natural things and the conventional things, and you can find to see if these things are compatible and safe to use together.
0: Amazing, um, and where where can folks find the book?
1: Anywhere you like to get your books. Okay. So um, for Canadians, you can get it on Indiebound Ooh. online.
0: Uh, what, what That's is, where you
1: can get an actual print book.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, what is uh, Indiebound?
1: Indiebound. Oh, you don't know about Indiebound. Oh, you would like Indiebound. It's like all of our weird hippie crunchy books, but it's um they they sell in in Canada as well. Okay. So yep. And you know, the Amazons, the Barnes and Nobles from my website at drkrista.com. And the ebook is it's done. We just for some reason there's a hiccup to have it be available. It was supposed to be available on Monday when the print book came out. So and we're working on the audiobook. So um people will have for both books actually, mold book and pandas book.
0: Amazing. That's great. I do
1: have the audiobook from my mold book not through audible yet that's what we're working on but if you are a listener because mold has wrecked your vision which it does for lots of people um you can get the audiobook on my website
0: excellent um, yeah that we've uh, there've been some very uh, compelling um, facebook threads uh, dr Krista and i are part of this uh, couple of the same facebook clinician groups and you know i've re- i've referenced them multiple times in the past where it's like somebody's asking a question and then dr Krista is like just like how did she know all this stuff and like just all these you know, like obscure, like, oh, I was listening to like Dr. So-and-so at this time. It's like, what? Like this pathway I've never heard of before. So, um, and yeah, just really anyways, uh, mm-hmm. wealth of your wealth of information on this topic. So anyone listening who, um, if you have a family member or a, um, you know, know someone who's affected by pans or pandas, um, yeah, I'm sure it will be a great resource. I'm going <clears> to, <throat> excuse me, I'm going to get a copy of myself probably through IndieBound, because um, it sounds like it'll be my new favorite website. Um, yes,
1: I think it will be.
0: <laughs> I was excited when I saw it. So I, I'd love to see your thoughts on the topic in one place. So I don't have to keep uh, searching keywords and Facebook groups and taking forever to find them. So
1: that's what I'm hoping. I mean, the, the pre-reader, Lauren Tessier, Dr. Tessier, she, um, was a pre-reader. And so she wrote a little ditty for the back because she's, you know, really educated in mold and mold is a big player for pandas and pans. Um, but she just said, I think practitioners are going to, really get a lot out of this. So I think I wrote it very simply like my mold book. I took really complex things and distilled it down just to the simple, um, in the mold book, I really disciplined myself to use just the single things that had many, many, many actions. Mm -hmm. Um, it, but I didn't rein myself in as well with the pandas and pans. So it's a little, it's a little much, but I do have a way to put it all together and they're just there for, um, trying to match the things for your child because it can look very like mold. It can look very different in each
0: kid. Mm-hmm. That's great. Mm-hmm. Well. Done excited to take a look at it Thank um you. <laughs> well um just before we wrap up here uh, dr krista um just if there's uh you know f- folks listening and they're thinking like you know dr Krista's is amazing um i want to work with her um and but i don't live within driving distance and i guess you're not you're, you're only doing consultations now anyways so um uh, how, how can folks uh work with you what are the steps that they would need to take to uh get your brain working on their case
1: mm-hmm. it would be through a consultation with their practitioner yes and um, I do have a membership for people who are wanting a little more of just my flavor of things, but they do have to have a practitioner that's manning their case. This isn't the same as clinical practice. Um, but in that membership, we do, you have two times a month to pick my brain on anything. We do these live Q and A's. And then I have two other meetings a month where members, we get together on Zoom and we just have a big sharing time where everyone can share What's working for them, doctors that really help them, techniques, um, websites, resources, that kind of thing. So, it, and then we have a a forum that's kind of feels like Facebook, but it's protected, so you don't have to have a separate social media account, mm-hmm. and you can talk about things and your insurance company doesn't know. Um, you know, there's a lot of stuff that people just don't really want to share with the general Facebook world. Mm-hmm. Um, so that forum I'm on every day as well, and you get my two cents on a lot of this stuff. So. The membership would be the best way to get more of me because I tried to figure out how do I, how do I do this where I can't take any more patients, Mm -hmm. you know, because it gets full. So
0: of course. And so if, um, say a person's listening to this and they're thinking like, oh, I'd really like my clinician to be able to consult with Dr. Krista on my case. Um, is is that an option as well? Or is the membership? It
1: is. I do have. I, I had to narrow it down. So the doctor has to be somebody who has taken my mold training course mm-hmm. because it makes it so much more efficient for everybody and then less costly for the patient. Cause usually yeah. that consultation fee is passed on to the patient. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be one condition and I just had to draw the line somewhere. You know, I found myself repeating myself, repeating myself. And I was like, they would know this if they took my course. So, yeah. So now just for efficiency sake, that is one hoop, um, that I, that I do have.
0: Okay. Great. Mm-hmm. Um, well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us uh, this evening. Yeah. Well, it's evening right now. I mean, whenever people are listening to this, but, uh, and I guess for you, it's probably supper time-ish uh, yeah. later right here, but thank, thank you I'm so surprised much you
1: me. didn't hear my stomach. <laughs> it was very subtle. Yeah, no, okay. was, yeah, barely
0: noticeable. It's probably all the nettles, I'm guessing. Um, yeah. But uh, thank, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. Um, and yeah, just a wealth of information as always, Dr. Krista. I always learn so much when I'm uh, interfacing you in any, in any capacity. So thanks so much and really appreciate it appreciate your time.
1: Likewise. It's a joy to speak with you really. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. How exciting.
0: My pleasure. Very, very happy to do it. Well, uh, thanks so much everyone for uh, tuning in and uh, stay tuned for the next exciting edition um, coming up down the road. Thanks everybody.